Welcome to the Staying Golden Podcast, where we'll be catching up with Laurier alumni to give the Laurier community a glimpse of what the future may hold after graduation. We would like to acknowledge that Wilfrid Laurier University and its campuses are located on the Haldeman Track, traditional territory of the Neutral, Anishinaabe, and Haudenosaunee peoples. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Staying Golden Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Hogan, and today we are back with another exciting guest. I have with me here Jade Pasutka, who is a member of the Oneida Nation of the Thames from the Turtle Clan. She's the Senior Manager of Indigenous Enablement and Recruitment at KPMG in Canada, and also graduated in 2012 from Laurier with a degree in Criminology. So let's just get right into it. How are you today, Jade? Great. Very happy that it's the end of the week. So really excited for that and enjoying, you know, a little bit of the snow. So getting into your experiences at Laurier and your time on campus, bringing you back to all the way before you were in university, what was it that attracted you to Laurier? Why did you choose Laurier for your undergrad? You know what? It kind of just happened. So I actually attended Mohawk College prior I did the two-year general arts degree or diploma, and it was there that I had a number of friends that either transferred over to Laurier or McMaster, and at the time, just because of the area that I wanted to go into, which was criminology, and still wanting to remain in Hamilton, the best option really was Laurier. I had a lot of friends that were actually at the Mohawk campus in Brantford, so that gave me a lot of access to go out there and visit. We did a couple of, you know, I would say just like organic tours, not really like tour guides, just kind of checking out the campus and some of the buildings on our own. And that's what drew me to Laurier, wanting to remain in that area. And then also just feeling comfortable within the city. I grew up in a really small town, moving over to Hamilton, a little bit larger, but still not feeling like that comfortable in such a like sprawling campus compared to, you know, McMaster or, you know, even Western. Like I felt more comfortable, I'd say, on the Brantford campus than I would on something, you know, so expansive. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, very cozy over there for sure. So did you have a dream career in your mind at that time for what you were going to pursue after criminology? I kind of did. And the reason that I had chosen criminology was because of a co-op that I did in high school. So for for my high school, the final year, there was an opportunity to do a co-op and you had this big binder at that point, because I'm not even going to say what year it is, but it was a big binder. And essentially you could flip through and look at different kinds of co-ops. And a lot of them were, you know, working with schools or, you know, different areas. And none of them really spoke to me. And then I had somebody say, actually, they do one with Grand Valley. Institution for Women, which is the prison out in Kitchener, Ontario. And I thought, you know what, that is so odd and kind of exciting, a little bit terrifying, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to try that. And if I don't get it, then I'm not going to do a co-op. And that's just kind of how I'm going to go about that. So doing this co-op, it was really wonderful, really eye-opening to be in this institution. But then it also kind of opened the doors to understanding, you know, what would a career like this look like? And that's what really pushed me to eventually go into criminology, uh, because my original plan was to go into corrections. And it was because of the experience there that I had in understanding, you know, the number of Indigenous folks that were incarcerated, and how the system really was a colonial setting and not 
supportive of Indigenous peoples. So that was kind of the passion behind wanting to go that route. And then that's kind of what led me into wanting to go into criminology, kind of seeing myself in that area so that I can support the Indigenous community, um, you know, as it relates to, you know, justice or, or the correctional system. That's incredible. And I love hearing stories like that. You often hear people step out of their comfort zone and then find a passion or find something they love, despite, you know, as a high school student going to a correctional facility that seems like a harrowing thing. Absolutely. It, was, it was definitely an experience going to the correctional system because I think I was the third student they've ever had. And I mean, at that point, I was 17 going into this area that was so like structured and a little bit terrifying and also didn't really know how to support me as like a co-op student, but also they wanted to, you know, give me an experience that, that I would remember in terms of, you know, having me circulate through the prison and getting experiences as not just like a correctional officer, but even, you know, working in admin there or, or being in the health unit or the educational center or the psych ward, as well as maximum and, and compared to minimum security. So it was a really good experience to understand how that functions um and something that i don't think anybody or not a lot of people definitely have the ability to do so it was definitely like a a strong introduction into criminology and and really aligned where i wanted to go oh so fast forwarding a little bit back to your days on brantford campus what do you think were some of your best memories from that or just some of the good times you had? I was a student that drove in and out of campus quite a bit. So I would try and pile all of my courses into a few days just so that I could you know, get them out of the way. And I will say I've probably fallen asleep on a couch and I forget the building, but I probably fell asleep on that couch like once a week and come in for full day classes and at least missed one. <laughs> for a week where I would fall asleep. But I think because it was a smaller you know, group of individuals that were going through your courses, you really got to know everybody that was in your classes. So you would kind of move around or you would move your courses so that they would coordinate with other people so that you could, you know, complete your work as as needed. And so I think that would be the big difference between going to, you know, a larger post-secondary compared to a smaller post-secondary. You sometimes don't necessarily see the same people and see them kind of like progress and, you know, take on different avenues or, or explore different kinds of like opportunities or courses or work. So I think it was really unique in that you got to really know everybody that you were in those courses with. And you also got to see them kind of like change a little bit, you know, as you kind of explore your courses, as you, you get a little bit older, as you get some experience under your belts. I think that was probably the most memorable piece. And also the, the unique courses that were offered were insane. I think some of my favorites were like victimology, like color crime. I did a course on serial killers. And so there are some really interesting courses that I was able to take while I was in this program that like were so that that still resonate with me. Got it. Wow. And yeah, I think so often when we think of university memories, we have this idea of like the knights will always remember that kind of thing. But I think what you're saying is much more true to life, the day to day relationships and, and seeing people grow. And that is really where the joy and fulfillment is, right? I was, I was living out in Hamilton. So it was kind of like I lived in still my my college life at Mohawk. And then I also had a Laurier, which was kind of like this. I could be 
dual individuals, <laughs> which was really interesting. And so it was like the more responsible Jade, I think was at Laurier. The, you know, college student was definitely in Hamilton. Got it. Got it. You were saving your adulting for Brantford. Yeah. Gotcha. So did you get a chance to do any extracurriculars during your time? I didn't necessarily do extracurriculars, but I did get involved, I would say more in the community. So during that time, I was still, I mean, I still am today going through a reclaiming process of my Indigenous identity. And while I was at Laurier in Brantford, they have a really great Indigenous student center that I was able to visit and kind of explore in, in my own ways, you know, as, as my comfortability grew with identifying as an Indigenous woman. So it was really interesting to be a part of that and kind of see that growth in myself. And then a lot of the courses that I took really pushed for, you know, community support or understanding the community that you work within or live within. And so through that, I started volunteering. I was able to volunteer at the food bank in Brantford, as well as one of the high schools. And I believe it's called Central Public School in Brantford, which was a component of one of my courses, but I loved being a part of the high school, participating in their Indigenous cultures class, that after the requirements of the course were complete, I continued on for another year of volunteering with them. Similarly to the food bank, that was a push from one of my courses. I continued on there the entirety of my time at Brantford, even though it was, you know, a course that was in my first year, technically. So it was a really great kind of push. So I wasn't necessarily, you know, part of clubs or committees, but I really had the push from Laurier to participate in the wider community. Oh, and I think it's impressive that you were driving in and still finding all the time to volunteer. That's, that's great. So moving on to after Laurier. So what was your first job out of school? And did your degree translate to that role at all? Yeah, my first job out of school. So at that point, I had moved back home, which my home or where my parents reside is Kitchener-Waterloo area. So I was working as a bartender server at an Irish pub out in Kitchener, Ontario. Is that McCabe's by chance? No, it's Finn McCool's. Oh, Finn McCool's, (laughs) of course. Okay. So I worked there for, oh my gosh, a number, a number of years. And so straight out of school, I worked there. I kind of remained there because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I completed the degree. And although I still was really passionate about going into corrections, I was kind of doubting myself in terms of, you know, is this the right move for me? Do I want to remain within Kitchener? Do I want to, you know, what are the other opportunities out there? So I kind of floundered for a number of years, to be honest. I I bartended, I served, I was, you know, one of the, the pub managers. I did that for a number of years, just trying to figure out, you know, where did I want to take my career? And after a while, I kind of said, okay, I've gotten too comfortable with, you know, working here and I really need to use my degree. I mean, I spend a lot of time and money on this. I need to utilize it. So I said, I'm going to move to Toronto, go completely out of my comfort zone. I drove down one day, went and looked at an apartment, signed a lease drove back home and told everybody, well, I guess I'm moving to Toronto in two months. Had no job, no plans, kind of a do or die situation. And it worked out perfectly, to be honest. I don't suggest for others to do it, but it was 
really good in terms of pushing me to go outside of what I wanted to do. So while I was down there, I will say, I also didn't really know what I was going to be doing. So I went back to, to serving at another Finn McCool's, which I said I would never do. I was serving there during the evenings, during the day, you know, I'm in my, my early to mid twenties. All of my friends are, you know, starting their first you know, corporate roles or their first, you know, professional jobs. And I just felt really left out and that I wasn't at the same place as everybody else. And then also seeing everybody go into the office in the morning and I'm like, oh, well, I work in the evening. So I don't really, you know, there's, there's that weird time in the day. So I said, okay, do you know what? I really loved volunteering when I was at Laurier, when I was still living at home. And I also want to do that here. So I went down to Miswe Beak Aboriginal Employment and Training. And I asked them if they take volunteers. The receptionist at the time, Val, actually, I remember her name. <laughs> Shout out Val. Yeah, thank, thank you, Val. She said, you know, we don't take volunteers, but we actually have a job. So if you want a job, you can come back for an interview with our executive director, who is uh, Nancy Martin, still is Nancy Martin. So I went in, did the interview and I was like, okay, it feels fine. You know, being a, you know, I could do a little bit of admin and then maybe that'll help me figure out what I really want to do. And so I went in, had the interview, went well, she called me back. She said, you know what? You can do this job. I don't, I don't doubt that you can but I don't think you're going to love it. And we have a new opportunity that's kind of unique. And I don't know if you'd be interested in it. So they said, oh, we're, what we're going to do is we're hiring somebody to kick off our HR office. It's a very small charity out of the GTA at that point in time, 25 individuals in the organization. And so they said, we're going to bring you in part-time set up an HR office. We're going to send you back to post-secondary so that you can get your HR certification. And we're also going to set you up with an HR professional to kind of help you in setting up the office, um, making sure everything's kind of organized properly. And then also if there's any support you need in terms of your post-secondary degree. So I went back and I thought about it and I was like, I had to Google what HR meant. I didn't even know what the acronym meant. So not an area that I ever assumed I would be a part of. So I went back and said, okay, yeah, I'm going to come in for the interview. Let's just see how it goes. Not really wanting it, but being like, you know, I'll give it a shot. Anyways, got the role, started off part-time in HR, you know, signed up at TMU. So what is it? Toronto Metropolitan University. Now, um, formerly Ryerson University. Signed up there um, and uh, and started working at Misery Week. I was there for about two years. Um, I was supposed to be starting part-time. They said, you know what, actually, this is a bigger undertaking than we actually, we originally believed. Can you come in full-time? Started doing full-time, still working at the pub in the evenings, going to post-secondary as well in the evenings. So sometimes I would leave at, you know, 7.30 in the morning and I wouldn't get back until two or three in the morning and started all over again the next day, depending on what day of the week it was. Did that for about a year and a half. And that was my, my first introduction, my, my first, I would say, professional role. And doing that really helped me in understanding, you know, what do I want to do and how do I want to, you know, bring my Indigenous identity into the work that I do? And how do I want to bring my interests and my passions into, you know, my professional life? 
um, because I always knew I wanted to work with the Indigenous community. I mean, that's why I took criminology at Laurier. That's why I was volunteering in an Indigenous student, student class. That's why I was assisting in all these different areas. But I just didn't know how to translate this passion and this need to support the Indigenous community into a role and what that entailed. So it was really a couple years to really figure out where I wanted to go, although I don't use my degree necessarily, although I think I do in some capacities. <laughs> I think those are really the foundations of, you know, how and, and why I do the work that I do today. But, but it took some time to really figure out, you know, how did those translate into the work that I do today? Right. That's amazing. So you went in looking to volunteer and you walked out with a job, professional training and a degree. I mean, it's a pretty good deal if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say I consider myself incredibly lucky. And it's thanks to, you know, individuals that saw potential in me and offered opportunities that I was able to take that allowed me to kind of figure out my path and navigate where I wanted to go and, and what made the most sense to me and, uh, and who I am. Right. So I know after your time there, you transitioned to RBC for some time. Could you talk a little bit about that role and uh, how you got there? Yeah, for sure. So I was actually, so, okay, so actually let me back up. So when I worked at Mesui Beak, they had a, a board of individuals. One of the board members actually was the indigenous sourcer for the bank at that point in time, and she kept on bothering me saying, hey, there's some really great opportunities at RBC. I kept on turning her down saying, I don't know anything about a bank. I don't know anything about the financial sector. I'm just not inclined to that. You know, I really enjoy working with the community. I wouldn't want to leave an Indigenous community to go into this large entity. So eventually she wore me down and I said, okay, I'm going to go to one interview. After this, do not bother me. I will do this one interview. That's it. It went, I thought it went so poorly. I went in, had a conversation with two vice presidents within wealth management as an executive assistant. And I also said, you know what? I feel like being an executive assistant is maybe taking a step back from, from HR. Anyways, they, they ended up really enjoying the conversation that we had and where I wanted to take my career and the work that I was doing to get there. So they ended up extending an offer to me. So the deal with RBC, and I kind of always say it in this way, is that I was there for a good time, not a long time. I was hired as the executive assistant for two vice presidents under, under the CFO. So Really, that role was for me to understand a little bit more about the bank and how it worked, also how the lines of business functioned and how they functioned together, really get to understand and how to navigate the bank and this, you know, this large entity, and then also to give me access to understanding human resources, because I was a human resource generalist when I was with Ms. We Beak. But there's so many areas of HR that I really didn't understand. And I didn't know, you know, where do I fit in all of this? And, and where do I want to go? And what do I actually enjoy? So a component of my role was to participate in committees, initiatives, do job shadowing, have coffee chats with different individuals within human resources to really figure out what I liked. And I was still completing my courses at TMU. So it was still really interesting to kind of go through those courses to be like, uh, okay. And then I have a conversation with somebody, you know, in compensation and say, 
uh, actually, you know what, maybe this is an area for me, uh, even though I'm completing the coursework and I enjoy it, but seeing the day to day really doesn't jive with what I want to do. So it was really interesting in that way. So, so the setup was that I would do this. I had really great support from my vice president. At the end of my exact to the day, two years of being an executive assistant at RBC, I, I was able to, you know, participate in a lot, number of indigenous recruitment initiatives, speak to inclusive recruitment, had some really great conversations with individuals across all of the employment resource groups. And in the end, I kind of said, you know what, I think I want to test my hand at inclusive recruitment and that's where I ended up going. So it was a really unique opportunity and it was really thanks to, you know, my vice presidents that supported me through all of that and, and knew that, you know, ultimately I would be making a move uh, and wouldn't necessarily stay within, you know, wealth management or under the CFO. Right. Okay. That's very interesting for sure. So I was hoping we could take a little detour from career stuff to talk a little bit about your reclaiming journey. So I was wondering if you could describe what that means in general and also personally to you and kind of describe how that's going. Yeah, for sure. So for myself, I'm both Polish and Haudenosaunee. So from Oneida Nation and Thames from the Turtle Clan. So because I am of mixed ancestry, I live within this world where, you know, I grew up very Polish, but then also very First Nations. My, my mother was adopted out of her community when she was a child. So she was taken care of by my great auntie, Marlene, who is our clan mother for, for the Turtle Clan on Oneida Nation Thames. Um, she was removed from her home when she was younger, placed with a non-Indigenous family and grew up in, uh, you know, rural Ontario. Because of the way that the adoption happened, it was an open adoption. So she knew who her family was. She knew that she was Indigenous growing up, but she did grow up in a very non-Indigenous, mainly German, I think, or German predominantly at area. So even growing up, even though she knew she was Indigenous, knew that she was different, she didn't necessarily know what that meant. So even growing up, we started to have more access to the Indigenous community. And I think it was about eight or 10 that my mother and my grandmother, my adoptive grandmother, had a, a conversation with me to explain that I was Indigenous or I was First Nations and that I was from Oneida Nation Times. So I had no idea. I used to tell people that I was Irish and Polish. <laughs> because the adoptive family was Irish. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people were like, I don't know, because they knew who my mother is. And she definitely doesn't look Irish. So so there was a lot of conversations that had to be um, had between all of us and kind of figuring that out and understanding, okay, wait, my mom's adopted and this grandmother that I've grown up with and I, I love is not my biological grandmother. So there was a lot of conversations around that and the adoption, which was a little bit hidden. So some things have come to light since then, but I think it's still in the process of figuring all of that out. At that point, my mother, I kind of said, okay, we got to start, you know, reconnecting. And, and she went through the process as well. So I was kind of along for the ride since an early age of her rediscovering, you know, who she is and what that meant to her as somebody who was adopted out. So we, we started going back to our, our res, started visiting with family more, getting to know my, my aunties and my uncles and my, my great grandmother, as well as my, my great auntie Marlene, and started to really understand what that is and what that meant. I don't think I actually kicked off 
my, you know, reclaiming process until I started at, at post-secondary. So when I started at Mohawk College, I started going into the Indigenous Student Center and it felt really uncomfortable at first because I had no real understanding of what it meant other than, you know, being shipped off to my great auntie's house and, you know, seeing my cousins and hanging out there and, and all of that. So it was really interesting and a really uncomfortable process at the beginning, going into these places and spaces that were built for Indigenous students and saying, you know, I am Indigenous or I'm Indigenous enough to be here and participate in this. So I think there was a lot of back and forth. It took me a lot of time to feel more comfortable in that. And that grew even more when I went to Laurier Brantford and, you know, participating in the Indigenous cultures class at the high school, as well as participating in the Indigenous Student Centre. That kind of kicked off everything in my understanding. And then it furthered when I moved to Toronto and started working at Ms. Week Aboriginal Employment and Training. So really being entrenched within the Indigenous community and just all the support that you got from them in terms of, you know, reclaiming and, and understanding. I say reclaiming when, you know, you understand these components of your, your family that were never really told. I remember when I first found out about residential schools, it was never discussed in my family. So understanding how that relates to my family and our experiences, as well as learning about the 60s scoop and, and my mother being, you know, adopted out and, and how that all worked. And then also just through the work that I do, I, I get to interact with a number of Indigenous communities and understanding their experiences and how diverse they are and how they impact, you know, not only the ways that we, we live and, and the ways that we interact with, you know, the rest of Canada. So it's really been, you know, interesting to, to be from this side of everything and going through that process, but then also be seeing other people that are, are going through this or, or, you know, going through their own reclaiming process and how it's so different for every person. And, and I guess when you ask, you know, what does reclaiming mean? I think it's really understanding my Indigenous identity, understanding my family, understanding our, our interactions with one another and, and really bringing that back to who I am. And I think I'll, I'll be in a reclaiming process for the entirety of my life in feeling comfortable enough to, you know, be Indigenous and say, you know, I'm a First Nations woman. So I think it's, it's going to be a lifelong journey of, of figuring out all of that. Wow. And yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. So I'm, I'm sure it will take some time, but I'm now wondering, uh, so we can tie it back to career. So how does your personal reclaiming and reconnecting journey uh, connect to your role at KPMG as uh, the senior manager of Indigenous enablement and recruitment? Yeah. So my role is really unique. So within the firm space, I, there aren't a, a ton of firms that, that have this role. So I actually reside in the National Inclusion, Diversity and Equity Talent Attraction Team. So I'm the Indigenous lead um, in this space. So really working on, you know, attracting, engaging and, and ultimately retaining Indigenous talent across Canada. So not only am I, you know, working with recruiters around inclusive practices, you know, working with some of our community partners, as well as our clients, you know, understanding and breaking down almost that traditional way of you know, outreach, ways that we're branding, the way that we're, we're working with communities and, and the conversations that we're having with individuals. So with the work that I do, I, I get to bring my identity to my role every single day, which is a really unique 
aspect, I think, of, of, of these kinds of roles, because it's at the end of the day, I don't get to, you know, take off my my senior manager, Indigenous enablement recruitment hat. Like I'm still Indigenous. I'm still passionate. I'm, you know, it's it's a weird tie between identity and your role. So sometimes it's hard to navigate at what point does my role end and does do I begin? So I think there's a lot of aspects that you have to kind of take a look back at and understand where can I, I make myself, where can I bring mental wellness into what I'm doing and, and those components? Yeah. So my role enables me to, to bring my identity in, in, in every aspect of, of what I, I get to do. So not only do I get to work with Indigenous candidates, I get to work with Indigenous employees. I, I get to understand Indigenous communities across Canada. I kind of have that, that pass to, you know, take time and, and reflect and, and, and bring all those aspects into what I do. Um, a lot of what I do right now is reviewing our recruitment process um, and, and understanding barriers and, and how we can bridge between gaps that we're seeing. Um, so I'm able to bring that identity and that knowledge and, and other individuals, Indigenous individuals into those conversations because it's not a one you know, one approach that can happen. So being able to bring other people into this, but then also learn from other Indigenous individuals across Canada, whether they're in their reclaiming process or, or not, or just even, you know, understanding different nations or communities across Canada, which is really beneficial and understanding the diversity and the beauty and, and the ways that they interact within like the wider society is, is really interesting to, to bring all of that forward. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So can you also talk just a little bit about your role, what you do day to day? Yeah, for sure. So my role is different every single day. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I have a, a day that's the same, to be honest, but I guess the, the elevator pitch of what my role actually is, is I work with our recruiters. So our, our talent attraction individuals across Canada, I'm, I'm a national resource to them. So I support them in identifying diverse Indigenous talent across audit, tax, advisory, digital services, business enablement services, which is myself and, you know, human resources or learning or marketing. So I support them in identifying talent, but I also support them in the ways that we're attracting and engaging talent. So really reviewing the recruitment process to understand those barriers and support candidates as they go through this to really create a positive experience. On the flip side of that, I get to work with Indigenous candidates across Canada through the application and interview phases. Ideally, if they join us at the firm, I help them in navigating the Indigenous space. So whether that's leading to our National Indigenous Peoples Network or, you know, engaging with other individuals that are doing similar work, as well as, you know, understanding a little bit more being a part of the Indigenous client services. I also am lucky enough to participate with a number of community partners. So whether they be employment or otherwise. Um, so I, I get to work with our children's medicine. I get to work with Inspire. I get to, you know, be a part of some proposals as well. You know, understanding how we can support and work with Indigenous communities across Canada. And then also I get brought into a lot of conversations with some of the partners around how do we create inclusive practices or, or how can our work inform reconciliation or how can we be a part of reconciliation through the variety of work that that happens across the firm so wow so you are wearing a lot of different hats over there <laughs> so um and now to move on a little bit to 
KPMG does have a relationship with Laurier. I was wondering if there are any resources for Laurier students, if they were interested in maybe finding employment at KPMG. Yeah, for sure. So we have a really great, actually really wonderful relationship with Laurier through our region's East counterparts. And they do a number of activities. We we have direct roles that are, are sourcing or, or asking for Laurier talent to come in. We do our recruitment cycles essentially in fall, winter, and spring. I do for Warren students. We do it quite early. So if you're thinking, you know, a couple months ahead, think a little bit further ahead when we're we're looking at applying for opportunities. There's there's quite a large early talent or campus community. So we post pretty regularly. We go on campus as well to give more information around, you know, what does life at KPMG look like? We have a really great and surprisingly active Instagram. I'm always surprised by the number of individuals that are on the KPMG Instagram. Instagram account, but it's a really good window into what does an internship look like? What does graduate opportunity look like? And what is the actual culture of the firm? Because I think we still think of it as that, you know, old stuffy institution that your grandfather worked in where he was coming in in a three-piece suit, which is definitely not what KPMG is today. So it's, it's a great window into what does early talent look like at the firm. For Indigenous folks, we have some really great initiatives. So we we work with Inspire. We offer, offer 58 scholarships yearly to Indigenous students in areas of business. So that's anything from, you know, public policy to a, a commerce degree. And so we've been doing that since 2012. Through that program, we also offer mentorship. And mentorship is a 12-week program that's offered in partnership with our National Indigenous Peoples Network. We also have the Indigenous Internship Program, which I will say is delivered in a a way that's slightly different. So the way that I do my programming is that it's not a separate program from the overall early talent or campus experience, whether you be a student, a co-op, or, you know, a recent graduate full-time hire, because I don't like the idea of having a separate program that is just for Indigenous folks and and kind of having that division. It it feels like tokenism to me. So the way that I I share my programming is that it's completely consent-based up to the individual in terms of how much they want to participate, But it's really an extension of, you know, an Indigenous student center that you might visit on campus. So you have access to cultural events, to peer to peer support. You have access to mentorship, to the National Indigenous Peoples Network. You have access to skill development and and learning opportunities, as well as some global connects, because we're we're lucky enough to be very connected with our Australia and New Zealand counterparts. But the way that I I present it is, is in that way just so that people can build up their comfortability because I know for many of us, it, it is, we're, we're going through that reclaiming process and I, I just want to create a supportive environment that we can all do that in. For myself, I will say I, I do get a lot back from that program because I get to go, you know, on that journey with everybody else and I get to, you know, be in my own journey, but also see others as they like kind of grow and feel more comfortable and confident in their Indigenous identity, which is is really really special. So as much as it is a program for other people, I think it helps me as well um, in, in my own reclaiming process. That's great. That is really special and tons of opportunities. So that's always good to hear. You can always get started at the Career Center if you're curious about any of those things. So I've heard a lot about this Indigenous wellness benefit that KPMG offers. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited about this one. And it came out this past December. It's, I believe it's the first of its kind within corporate Canada. And it's in addition to the $2,000 mental health benefit that, you know, students and, and employees receive when they're, they're with the firm, but essentially it allots $500 every year to be put towards access to elders or knowledge keepers, as well as any traditional medicines. So such as like sweetgrass, sage, cedar, tobacco, even smudging kits, uh, even, uh, you know, if we're looking at building drums, so materials for that. It also goes to, you know, say you're going to a sweat lodge or you're going to, you know, a ceremony ceremony on your reserve, then it's it's allotted to any of the fees that you might incur from that. So it's it's a really unique component to mental well-being and, and really well needed. And I am really hoping that the rest of corporate Canada will follow suit in creating benefits that support and speak to Indigenous individuals. Right. That's amazing. So as we kind of come to a close here, I did want to pinpoint a couple of the things that you said that I, I really appreciated. One of, the, one of the things you were talking about was maybe not so explicitly, but you mentioned stepping out of your comfort zone for the corrections opportunity for moving to Toronto, just up and getting out of there and going into RBC and those all leading to opportunities and open doors. But as we come to a close here, usually uh, there's a question I like to ask everyone who comes on here, and I love hearing the different answers I get. So I'm curious about how you define success as an individual. Success for me has been, because I've had so many individuals help me along in figuring out, you know, how do I incorporate my interests and my passion and and my, my want to work with the community into a profession, I think for me, success is, you know, passing that along to the next individual, you know, being a part of that process for somebody, whether it's helping them or assisting them in getting their first internship or, you know, assisting them in, in understanding an aspect of their identity or getting in touch more with, you know, even their post-secondary group or their, their network. All of these components help and, and help push people to understand what they want to do in their profession. And, and ultimately that extends out into the rest of their life, right? So I think for me, success is supporting those that come after me, you know, creating a space that they want to be in. One of the big things I think is creating these programs or these, these conversations around Indigenous individuals and the values and skills that they bring into corporate Canada and seeing other people, you know, the light going off and saying, oh yes, it makes a lot of sense because the way that business is moving is, is in, is grounded in our, our traditional ways of relationship building and the ways that we work with one another and the ways that we support staying. Like those are the ways that business is moving and people are starting to figure out that those are Indigenous ways and, and who best to help us move in that direction than other Indigenous folks. They're going to be the ones that are at the forefront pushing these items. And I think seeing people understand that and then Indigenous folks going into these positions and, and making that space and, and feeling comfortable in their voices is really what success is. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> So I'd like to just say thank you for taking the time to be here. I know you're a very busy person, so I really appreciate. I feel like I was educated through this conversation, and I hope other people who are listening were as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation, and it was really wonderful to, you know, have this, this open dialogue with you. It was such a fantastic time, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.